I just told, told Kay, I said, I volunteered for this duty. Um, Kay Savage uh, has been married to her husband, Harold, for 39 years. She is a graduate of Freed Hardeman. Uh, she and Harold have been serving with the Snellville Church of Christ in Snellville, Georgia, for the last 30 years. They have two children, Larry and Michelle. Michelle is here with her today. They're the grandparents of three grandchildren, Malone, Wells, and Reed. Um, they attended Bear Valley from 1982 to 1984. Okay, that's that's what's written here. Here's what I'm going to tell you. No. <laughs> I graduated from high school in Snellville, Georgia in 1984. I grew up in a Baptist household, and my parents... Fast forward like 10 years, uh, my parents were converted here at Bear Valley um, and um, went back home to Georgia to find a congregation they had to break with their Baptist ties. And, and they found the Snellville Church that was about 10 miles from their house and Harold and Kay. And they made them feel at home. Welcome them in. And Harold, Harold preached a gospel sermon at my dad's funeral because he wanted all of their Baptist friends to hear a gospel sermon. And they got it. And my mom loved going to case Bible classes, ladies' Bible classes. So that's they're very dear to me and she's going to do a great job for us today so you're welcome Kate (laughs) (laughs) all right (laughs) her folks were really great um, when they came into Snellville Um, just you know when you're like your um, two older folk coming in okay sorry I guess they are strong. It's sometimes hard to make friends. And Burl and Shirley just came in, and they were wonderful. Really were. When I came here back in 82, um, we got married on a Friday, and we set out in our car on Saturday drove from West Palm Beach, Florida, all the way out. Our, our week-long honeymoon consisted of stopping at different churches and raising support to get out here. When we finally got out here, we had been married for a whole week. So um, it's kind of funny to be talking about my title, which I, I chose um, 1 Corinthians 12, and I'm, I, I entitled it Looking Like a Bride. And I got to tell you, ladies, when I showed up here, I was a bride, a new bride. Harold and I, when we sat together in class, I would move my desk right over and sit right smack next to him. I mean, I bet people hated us. But uh, <laughs> that's how we did it. <laughs> um, I'm going to start off with, um, I'm going to read from the the. the the entire chapter 12 and this is from the New Living Translation which I like, I call it the Story Bible because it's a little bit more 
story-ish. And then when we study, we'll go back and study out the New American Standard. But I just think it, it kind of, um, it's more gentle speaking or something. I don't know really what I mean. It's just more, more easier to understand sometimes and to keep it all together. But, okay. First Corinthians chapter 12. And now, dear brothers and sisters, I will write about the special abilities the Holy Spirit gives to each of us. What would be another word we could use for each? Does, does, it, does it exclude anyone? Each of us have one. Let each of us hold up our hands. Okay. Oh, we're all, we're all included. Okay. So, uh, the Holy Spirit gives each of us, for I must correct your misunderstandings about them. You know that when you were still pagans, you were led astray and swept along and worshiping speechless idols. So I want you to know how to discern what is truly from God. No one speaking by the Spirit of God can curse Jesus, and no one is able to say Jesus is Lord except by the Holy Spirit. Now, there are different kinds of spiritual gifts, but it is the same Spirit, Holy Spirit, who is the source of them all. There are different kinds of service in the church, but it is the same Lord we are serving. There are different ways for God, different ways God works in our lives, but it is the same God who does the work through all of us. A spiritual gift is given to each of us as a means of helping the entire church. To one person, the Spirit gives the ability to give wise advice. To another, he gives a gift of special knowledge. The Spirit gives special faith to another, and to someone else, he gives the power to heal the sick. He gives one person the power to perform miracles, and to another, the ability to prophesy. He gives someone else the ability to know whether it is really the Spirit of God or another spirit that is speaking. But still another person is given the ability to speak in unknown languages, and another is given the ability to interpret what is being said. It is one and only there is it is the one and only Holy Spirit who distributes these gifts. He alone decides which gift each person should have. The human body has many parts, but the many parts make up only one body. So it is with the body of Christ. Some of us are Jews, some are Gentiles, some are slaves, some are free, but we have all been baptized into Christ's body by one spirit, and we all have received the same spirit. Yes, the body has many different parts, but only um, diff- different parts, but no. Yes, the body has many different parts, not just one part. If the foot says, I'm not part of the body because I'm not a hand, that does not make him any less a part of the body. And if the ear says, I am not part of the body because I'm only an ear and not an eye, would that make, any, make it any less part of the body? Suppose the whole body were an eye, then how would you hear? Or if the whole body were just one ear, one big ear, I think that that's so funny. If, if the whole body was just one big ear, how could you smell anything? But God made our bodies with many parts, and he has put each part just where he wants it. What a strange thing a body would be if there was only one part. Yes, there are many parts, but only one body. The eye can never say to the hand, I don't need you. And the head can never say to the feet, I don't need you. In fact, 
Some of the parts that seem weakest and least important are really the most necessary. And the parts we regard as less honorable are those we clothe with the greatest care. So we are careful, so we carefully protect from the eyes of others those parts that should not be seen, while other parts don't require the special care. So God has put the body together in such a way that such way that extra honor and care are given to those parts that have less dignity. This makes for harmony among the members so that all the members care for one another equally. Equally. If one part suffers, all the parts suffer. And if one part's honored, all the parts are honored. Now, all of you together are Christ's body, and each of you is a separate and necessary part of it. Here's a list of some of the members that God has placed in the body of Christ. First, are apostles, and second, are prophets, thirds, are teachers, then there are those who do miracles, and those who have the gift of healing, and those who can help others, those who can get others to work together, those who speak in unknown languages. Is everyone a pro- an apostle? Well, of course not. Is everyone a prophet? No. Are all teachers? Does everyone have the power to do miracles? Does everyone have the power of healing? Well, of course not. Does God give all of us the ability to speak an unknown language? Can everyone interpret unknown languages? No. And in any event, you should desire the most helpful gifts. First, however, let me tell you about something else that is much better than any of them. So, um, do I have other student wives in here? Will you raise your hand if you're a student wife? How about a preacher's wife? We pre- are we preacher's wives in here? Okay, I just wanted to know where you were. Um, one of the things I've learned um, is it was different in the biblical times um, weddings were. I always learned that whenever we did the, the, the virgins, you know, the virgins are waiting with the lamp and they're waiting for the bridegroom. And what happened back in the olden days was that I guess the, the groom would stay home, get the house all prepared. And when he got it prepared, he would go fetch his wife. Um, well, it's kind of different now. Um, you'll notice in most of our weddings, um, the, wa- the woman is making all the preparations. You know, and the man just stands at the front of the building waiting for the bride to walk to him. Lots of things have changed, um, but God's picked this analogy because has everyone seen a wedding? Has anyone in here has never seen a wedding, never been to a wedding? You've never been to a wedding, really? Wow, okay. Somebody needs to get married and invite (laughs) her (laughs) so she can go. Uh, Have you seen one in the movies? Yeah. Okay, so you you got a visual. Okay, perfect. So, we do know that in, this, in the passages that I read, bride was never mentioned. But bride is synonymous with the church and the body, right? Jesus is synonymous with the groom and the head of the church. So we know that the, that the bride is being talked about, even if she hasn't been specifically pointed out here. So we have, we have the bride that we're talking about. Um, God chose a very basic and universal analogy when he used the the bride and the groom, and Jesus is the groom. Um, I've been a preacher's wife for almost 40 years, and I have watched many, many weddings. Each one is significantly the same while being vastly different. Um, Everyone knows something about weddings and brides and grooms and flower girls. And although weddings in the biblical times are nothing like we do today, 
the implication is clear. Weddings are a big deal. They change everything. You will never be the same again. Um, today's weddings are events. Um, I had a, most of them are now, a lot of them are des destination weddings, I guess they call them. You've got to, you can't just go to the church building and everyone gets married. You have to actually pack up and move into a hotel for the weekend and have weddings. But they're a very big, big thing. Much time and thought going to venues, the location, the dress, the flowers, the participants, the, the wedding, the ceremony. They've become very individual. You want to pick your own flowers, your own colors, all your style, all that kind of stuff. You, you want it to be you. And traditions are often being replaced, and that's not a bad thing. Um, we can all describe a bride. She is radiant, and she is happy, and she is smiling, and she is ready. She has been waiting for this moment planning for this moment this whole time. As she walks toward, towards her groom, she is confident and she is focused. She is single-minded. Again, she's planned for this day and she's dreamt about it all her life. A bride is uniquely dressed. As Paul writes about the bride, the church, the body, he describes her unique qualities. In verse 12, he says, For just as the body is one and yet has many members, and all the members of the body, though many, are of one body, so too is Christ. Verse 13 says, For in one spirit we were all baptized into one body. Whether Jews or Greeks or slaves or free, we were all made to drink one spirit. For in fact, the body is not a single member, but many. When he writes, when Paul writes about the church, about this bride, he describes her as being baptized into one body. Um, Galatians three twenty seven, which is a verse we had to learn all the time when we were when we were back here as, as students. Um, For all of you who were baptized into Christ, have clothed yourself with Christ. And I have loved that verse. When I used to teach the, the fifth graders, I used to on that on a special Sunday, I would wear Harold's um, suit jacket, and I'd say, "What do you see?" Well, I see Miss Kay wearing Mister Harold's jacket. And that's exactly right. When God looks down at me, he says, he sees K clothed in Christ's blood. And so we, we are, we clothed ourselves with him. We've entered the body and we receive the spirit. Um, God uses this moment in time to describe his son in the church. We know that Jesus loves his bride so much that he gave his life for her. The blood he shed clothes us. Okay, using Paul's um, bridal analogy, you get the picture of a bride wearing an incomparable original. She's wearing Jesus' blood. There's no one at the wedding dressed as a bride. Even if you've never met the bride, you know her immediately. Now, with the, the we've done a, a little bit of traveling here and there, and uh, we have seen weddings on beaches, weddings and ships. We've seen brides in an elevator. We've seen them walking down the hotel um, halls. Guess what? Every time we knew it was the bride. Every time, all you have to do is look at her. You look at what she's wearing, and you knew immediately that she was a bride. Um, she is dressed differently from everybody else, and her dress gives her away. Weddings are stressful affairs. You try to choose the, the perfect colors and the flowers and the theme, and it's really important because you want to start your life off perfectly. When the perfect music begins... I just remember I wanted, I got married in a Baptist church because I wanted an organ. Back when I got married, you weren't allowed to have organs in, in churches of Christ, so I had to go outside the church of Christ to find an organ. Um, but I just remember that dun, 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 the doors went open and there I was. 
what a neat moment that was. Um, you walk down the, the aisle. I can still remember that. I try to tell brides to do that. When you walk down the aisle, be in the moment. Look around. You'll never get to do this again. You're the most beautiful woman in the room. You're the most, you have the most beautiful dress on. This is your moment. Enjoy the walk. Take, take little mental pictures the whole time you're doing it and be in the moment. But anyway, she's at her best. She's chosen the perfect dress. She's considered all her accessories. She spent time on her hair and her nails and her face. And she's, she's as perfect as she can be. As she walks towards her groom, she has the honor of being the best-dressed lady in the room. No one else is wearing a wedding dress. In fact, I heard back in the day that it was, it was considered bad taste if you even wore a white dress. I mean, if you were a person. You know, one person dressed in white today, it's the bride. She gets to be in white all by herself today. Um, and it's funny because... Um, it is her day and all eyes are on her. Harold's usually up there standing by the groom. And he, we have such a good time with what they say. Because usually it's, wow. As soon as he sees her, he's swept away by that dress and that pretty lady walking towards him. His bride walks with assurance and confidence. This is her moment. She walks to her groom as a single lady, but she walks away from him together, married for life. The church should be as obvious to everyone else. As we walk down the aisle towards our groom, we should stand out just like the bride. The church should stand out just like the bride. Secondly, the bride walks graciously. Although we are the bride of Christ, he hasn't come to claim us yet. And that's what we are doing. Right now as the church, we are walking down that aisle towards our, our, our bridegroom. If you close your eyes and picture a beautiful bride walking down the aisle towards you, because everyone stands. As soon as, that's when Harold's got to cue the, the mother of the bride. As soon as she comes in, the mother of the bride stands and everyone's supposed to stand and you turn and you watch this beautiful woman walk down the aisle. How would you say your walk compares with what you just kind of thought in your mind? Because we are supposed to be walking just like that. 1 Corinthians 12 has a lot to say about how we walk. Um, Paul says in verse 12 that his bride, the church, the body, has many members. We're individually, yet collectively, we make up one body, one unit. How do we do that, and are we doing it? Philippians, I, um, Harold's one of favorites, his favorite books is Philippians, so I, it's kind of rubbed off on me. But Philippians 2, um, 2 says that... Um, a little bit of advice about that. He says, being of the same mind, maintaining the same love, intent on one purpose. And that's what the bride and groom are doing. They have, they've done everything that they needed to do to get ready for the day. And they stand up there holding hands with the, with the, the officiant standing here. And they say, do you promise to love? And they say, I do. They ask, do you promise do you honor, to honor and to cherish each other till death do you part? I do. I now pronounce you man and wife. It is one a being of the same mind, the same love, with the same purpose. That's what they're there for. Now, if you bring that into the church, would you say that we all have the same mind? Do we have the same love? Are we on, intent on one purpose? Are we moving towards each other to have the sameness? 
And how does the world see us? The bride, the church is one entity, yet has many parts. They're all differing, and they're all essential, and they're all equal. Verse 15 says that the foot says, since I'm not a hand, I'm not part of the body. It doesn't lose its membership in the body because of that. And if the ear says, since I'm not an eye, I'm not part of the body, it does not lose its membership in the body because of that. If the whole body were an eye, where would the hearing be? If the whole body were an ear... What part would exercise the sense of smell? But as a matter of fact, God has placed each of the members in the body just as he's decided. So we see that we have differences, but we are of the same body. Verse 15 and 16 um, introduce various body parts, the feet, the hands, the ears, the eyes, and the head. And um, they're all different. Big time different. Um, and the truth be told, I, I do like these verses. I had a, um, when I was a little girl, I was at the 10th Avenue Church in Lake Worth, Florida. Our, our minister at that time was Charlie Wharton. I guess I would have been, I don't know, 7th grade, 8th grade, something like that. He preached, his, preached on this text. But the whole time he preached, he had his hand being an eye. And it just looked around. He he must have written in his notes, keep the eye, keep keep your hand moving around. Because the whole time it would just look around. And he had the hardest time preaching because he he, he needed his hand to turn the pages of the Bible, but this hand wasn't there. It was up being an eye because it decided today it was going to be an eye. That sermon made such an impact on me because he couldn't function. Because his hand wasn't doing what his hand was supposed to do. It was doing something completely different. Feet, hands, eyes, and ears are extremely different. I'm pleased about that. I'm glad to eat with my hands. I don't want to eat with my ears. I prefer to walk on my feet. I don't want to walk on my hands. I'm so thankful, especially when I'm out here and I can see, my eyes see. Because you've got a beautiful world out here, guys. But it's just beautiful. In verse 15 and 16, Paul also introduces two kinds of attitudes. One says, if I can't be like you, I'm no good. He's speaking to those who think they're not as good as the others. Their gifts are somehow less than. The foot, because it is not a hand, does not see itself, see itself as part of the body. But if you look back on verse 13, what makes you part of the body is the spirit received at baptism. It is not your strengths. It is not your weakness. It is not your function that make you worthy. It is always him who makes you worthy. The second group is very pleased with their gifts, and they think that they can. They don't need others. And they say, if you aren't like me, well, we don't need you. Um, look at verse 21 that, that says, the eye cannot say it doesn't need the hand, and the head cannot say it doesn't need the foot. Everything is important. Everything is essential. This reminds me of, uh, again, Martha and Mary, where Mary is sitting at Jesus' feet. And what does Martha say? Tell her to get in here and serve. This is the important thing. We got people coming over for dinner. We've got to get dinner made. She's sitting there doing nothing. Well, we can't say that. We can't say that. We don't know. Um, Romans 12, 4 through 8, also, um, it's it's almost the the exact same verses. Romans 12. For just as we have many members in one body, and all the members do not have the same function, so we who are many are one body in Christ and individually members one of another. 
And since we have gifts that differ according to the grace given to us, let each exercise them accordingly. If prophecy according to the proportion of faith, if service in his serving, or he who teaches in his teaching, or he who exhorts in his exhortation, he who gives with liberality, he who leads with diligence, he who shows mercy with cheerfulness. So you've got all these different people doing different things. They're all doing something completely different. Um, and we, have, we cannot think, say that one, one person is better than the other. Both of the attitudes are wrong. Attitude that I... My, my gift is so, it's so small. I, I'm not even, I'm not even part of the, the, the body here. No. Or, hey, I'm so good. I don't need you. Neither one of those are good attitudes. And sometimes we find them so prevalent in the church. Um, verse 18 tells us that God placed each of us in the body exactly where he wanted us to be. Do you see it in your Bibles? Verse 18 exactly where he wants you to be. I'm going to look at what this one says. But now God has placed the members, each of them in the body, just as he desired. So um, he's the one that's doing this. I do think that sometimes a part of our internal discord in the church is that we have good people playing to their weakness and not to their strength. It may be that you're finding it hard to serve because you're a foot who has been misplaced as a hand. Maybe you're a giver and you're struggling to be a teacher. Or maybe you're a leader and you're struggling to serve. I want to just note a couple things before we go on. Number one, there's no one like you in the, in the body. You are the only you in the body. Because of Jesus, because of Jesus, you're part of the body, and you are indispensable. When you are not there, the body does not function. You are exactly what the body, you are exactly what the body must have to function. Every member is significant, and we all hurt and we rejoice with each other. So, what makes you unique? If you're the only you in the body, what makes you unique? In what area are you indispensable? Verse 18, we just read, why did God place you right here? You need to be able to answer these questions. Do you know why you are in the body where you are? Um, Harold and I are so different. Um, we, we, just, we just are very different. We always say that put together we make a pretty good person, one pretty good person, but separately we're kind of um, not so good. But he's people-oriented. He can talk to anybody. We go into an elevator. He makes conversation with everybody. We find about if we're in an elevator going up in the hospital. Well, who's, who are you visiting? Oh, what's happening? Oh, blah, blah. I mean, I'm not, I'm not trying to lighten like what he does, but you know, when you go into a, an elevator, you know what you're supposed to do, right? You stand there and you watch the numbers. Everyone stands there and watches the numbers until it comes to their floor, and you get off and you don't make eye contact with anyone. That's, that's elevator etiquette, which my husband does not know about because he talks to everybody. If you had a party, you would want to invite both Harold and I. You would want to invite me. You would want to invite Harold and me. Because you would want Harold out in the living room, 
gabbing with the guests. You would want me in the kitchen, not because I'm a good cook, but because I will make sure you do not run out of ice. I am project oriented. My husband is people oriented. And like I said, together we make one pretty good person together. Now this is kind of cool. In 2019, our elders asked each of us to take a spiritual gift survey. And I don't know if you've heard anything about this. I, I love this kind of stuff though. Again, this is, this is things I like. It was online. You answered some question. You submit the information. You received your results. In fact, the way they did it was I think our congregation made a, um, an account or something with that. And so when I took my, my little survey, it went directly to the church so that the church would know that I did it for one thing. It would know what my strengths and weaknesses were. So, um, you, you receive the results. My personal results were right on target. I wasn't really surprised. I was surprised by number three. My top three gifts were administration, project orientation. That would be exactly right. Um, evangelism and exhortation. Well, I knew, I knew about the administration would be a strength. I, I knew it. Um, I knew myself. Um, I would have guessed evangelism being high on my on my list but the exhortation kind of surprised me i had to kind of go back and look and what the world is exhortation and look at it and i realized that i actually did that i just didn't know i was doing it i didn't i didn't see it as exhortation or i didn't i didn't put those two things together um anyway uh, just like i have a friend uh, miss jeanette and she um when I started, um, when I got there, and I was teaching Bible class, she, when I became her friend, she said, don't ever call on me. Don't call on me to ask me a question. Don't call me to pray. Don't call me to read a Bible verse. Don't, don't, don't call on me at all. And so, um, and so I didn't. And so, but over the years, she's actually gotten up where now she leads the singing at ladies' days. She's actually taught Bible classes several times. She's actually done things, and it's because I've encouraged her to do it. I knew she could do it. She was just afraid to do it. She needed someone to go, you know you can do this, right? All you got to do. Anyway, but I didn't realize. Again, I didn't realize the exhortation until I took this. I was just going to show it to you. Just, I mean, you don't care about me. I I mean, what I am. But I just wanted you to see how it comes back. Um, It was, these are the, the spiritual gifts. Evangelism, prophecy, teaching, exhortation, shepherding, mercy, serving, giving, and administration. Uh, you can tell I bought them out in some really important things, okay? I, 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 I will admit that I bought them out. But anyway, what it does is it goes on, it gives you how to use your strength in administration. Where in the church can I serve? Because this is a strength of mine. Um, and then it gives you, um, um, because you are so good at this and this comes so natural, these are your weaknesses. You're going to expect other people to do such and such. So it also gives me, within my strength, where my weakness is. Anyway, it does it in, in all in all of my anyway all of them. And I just think it's so important that you know this. Um, my sister goes to church in Blairsville, and she had talked about this book called Sacred Pathways several times. And I cannot really. You did not hear me say I'm recommending it. Okay. Kate is not recommended because it's written real floozy looking. Real, you'd have to be someone that can go in there and read it and pull out the good stuff and leave all the garbage there because it's very, very denominational. Very, very denominational. But 
right on point with pathways. And his point is that each of us have something that leads us when we're doing it, we feel full of God. And one of the one of the, the, the pathways is nature. Some people can go out, walk around nature, and they feel like they are walking with God. Everything they see, look, God did this, God made that. Isn't God marvelous? God is everywhere. You can walk out there with somebody and they just get sweaty and the mosquitoes are biting me. You know, that's all they get. There's there's nothing. Nothing here for them at all. It's all just walking around, getting bit by mosquitoes. So anyway, we all have areas that we do well in. And um, again, I think you need to find out where you do well. you got to know where your strength is. And when you know where your strength is, you know where to work on the weakness. And I will tell you, ladies, it makes it, you, may, you become so much more tolerant of other people because you realize that they're struggling with something that you do naturally. You just you just breeze through it, and they're they're chomping through it. And uh, you kind of realize that. Um, one of the things in the pathways, talk to, um, one of them is legalism. Some people are legalistic. They like everything to be just this way, just this way, just this way. So I know, like, in the, in the service, in our church service, if we go off and we do, like, I know that sometimes you guys do three songs, a little bit of a sermon, and three songs, a little bit of sermon, and three songs, a little bit of sermon. I know, I know which women are going to go out and go, oh, my gosh, it was terrible today. Because they want everything to be the way it's supposed to be. And again, instead of going, you know, what a grouch she is, I get it. I get that that she, the way she goes to God, ah, wasn't, wasn't, wasn't her thing today, you know? And at the same time, she realizes the same thing. It wasn't her thing today, but it was someone else's. Someone else enjoyed that because it was different. And they enjoyed it. Okay. Okay, okay, okay. I'm, I'm going to skip. Okay. Now... You need to find out, however you choose to do it, um, find out what you do good. What is your strength? What are you naturally good at? Where do you, again, where do you need to work at it? And what do you have to offer the church? And where can you fit in? Because everyone needs to fit in. Okay, are you using what he gave you? Because by the way, if you do have a strength in some area, okay, again, my, my uh, administration, I'm not good at administration because I'm good at administration. I'm good because he gave me the skills, okay? This is nothing about me. This is all about him. It's all about him. No matter who or what you are, it's all about him. So are you using what he gave you? Because there are many reasons why that answer is significant. Number one, it's because we are the church. We are the body of the Christ, uh, body of Christ, and the church needs you. The bride doesn't just wake up on her wedding day, put on a pretty dress, and she's pretty. She's already planned. You know she has. You know all the stuff she's done. She bought the shoes. She's done everything that she can to make that day. She's prepared. And so... Um, so we need to, to, to realize that. But we need to be able to know that all eyes are on us. Ladies, his eye is on us. He's watching us. And we need to we need to walk well. Secondly, the church is working God's plan, and it is a perfect plan. It is his. The church needs your particular gifts to walk circumspectly to their groom, to the groom. Um, and they list a whole lot of the um of the gifts, and you can look at these. Um but ladies, all these gifts that were listed, they were given to us to help the bride, not to knock her down. 
That was never the intent to knock the bride down. To use Paul's illustration, the body cannot walk well when the foot is being a hand or the eyes being a foot or if the foot says, since I'm not a hand, I'm not a part of the body. But you can have two feet that both enjoy walking but not at the same time or not in the same direction. So you've got one that wants to walk real fast like this. And one little juice wants to saunter over here, you know. Imagine her going down the aisle. Can you see the bride going down the aisle with one, one foot going fast and the other one just sauntering down the aisle, okay? It's important that we all work together because the body cannot for, perform um, efficiently if the many parts don't or won't work together. Um, Paul ends the, the chapter with the same idea that... Um, that we all have these different gifts. Um, but they're not all the same. We're not all the same. We understand it when we say, well, some spoke in tongues, some were prophesying, some were miracle workers, some were this and that. Well, yeah, I get it. I get it. But do we get it in the church? Do we get it in the church that we aren't all the same? We can't all do the same stuff. Um, and again, I, I got to keep going because do I really only have five more minutes? That's terrible. Okay, third. Okay, you might notice that we're losing our kids. We're losing our children in the church. Um, It is not the bridegroom chasing the children away. It is the bride. It is our bickering. It is our lifestyle hypocrisy. It is our criticism of each other. It is our intolerance of each other's opinions and our moral compromise. It is not pretty. It is not attractive. It is unbecoming to a bride, and no one wants to be around that. Several years ago, Harold officiated a wedding where the bride was unable to to attend her own rehearsal. She was so drunk. We had to actually get a stand-in for the bride. Are raised in the church, children are fleeing the Lord's church because of the unchristlike walk of his bride. Remember, your children are watching and they are listening. Use your unique gift to be a solution and not the transmitter of a problem. Fourthly, who else is watching? Everyone is watching. The whole world is watching you. That's another reason to look like a bride because people are watching. Unchurched people are watching. The world is watching. We are being watched all the time. When we are tired and when we're discouraged and when we are fed up, they are watching. Ladies, I've got to be real careful. I've got a shirt that says, it is well with my soul. And it is true. It is well with my soul. God is, a, God is good. But I, do not, I am not able yet to wear the shirt that says, too blessed to be stressed. Because I'm thinking, I put that shirt on, I know I'm going to act like a jerk all day long. I cannot wear the shirt yet. But that is a goal of mine, to be able to put a shirt on that says, too blessed to be stressed, and just glide like the bride. That's my goal. Okay, what do we look like? How does the bride of Christ look to your world? Is she radiant? Is she happy? Is she walking with assurance? Are her eyes on her groom? Or is she lurching through the community? Is she off balance? Is she misdirected? Is she like my minister of old with trying to do this hand, trying to be an eye? Does she look inviting? Is she welcoming or is she off-putting? Are feet trying to be hands? Are eyes criticizing the noses? It seems when it comes to being the bride of Christ, we just grab the closest person to us and we give them a job to do. 
And maybe that doesn't help us to look graceful. Now, we all need to work. So, again, you've got a, t- you've got a skill. Go back to just think about your, what you know about the parable of the talents, okay? The one that used his talent got more. The one that didn't use his talent, no, 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 no. You do not want to be that person. Find your talent and put it to work. Okay, the world is watching. They're searching for peace and happiness and fulfillment. They're looking for direction and significance. They want assurance. They want validation. Do you exhibit these qualities? Does your congregation, do you look captivating? to the world around you. We are his bride. We're walking towards our bridegroom and we are dressed in his forgiveness and his mercy and his grace. We have access to his wisdom and his guidance and protection and plan. We've been giving all these gifts to help the lost. That's why we have them, ladies, to help the lost. Okay, what can we do? This is going to be really quick. What are we going to do to be attractive and alluring? Okay, one thing that the bride does is she smiles. It won't kill you to smile, okay? It's okay. Walk through Walmart and just smile. There's nothing wrong with that. It's nothing wrong with smiling because it draws people to you. They might think, gee, she's odd, but she has a nice smile. Um, Whatever they might think, please smile. Um, The second thing that they do is they cannot help but talk about how much they love their groom. Oh, my gosh, have you ever been around a bride and thought, I'm just going to, if she brings it up again, that's all they can talk about. Their wedding, their dress, their flowers, the flower girl, the you know, all that that's all they can talk about is but we need to talk about it also. It's okay. We need to give ourselves permission to gush. We have a bridegroom that that none of us have ever had. A perfect bridegroom. And we need to tell everybody about him because they need him too. Okay. Um, I I'm sorry, I'm really sorry. Um Okay, I just want to end with this, with this very end because at the very at the very end of this chapter, he says, um, twelve. Um, where is it? Where does he say? It? Oh, here. Okay. Um, however, let me tell you about something else that is better than any of them. Chapter thirteen is about love. love. That is exactly right. Okay, so you have love. Um, it never fails. What makes a bridegroom stand in front of all those people in that silly penguin suit? It's love. What helps, uh, what propels the, the bride down the aisle? It's love. What keeps people together during the baby years? Love. How about the teenage years? Love. How about financial difficulties? Love. How about poor health? Love. Love is what cover, love covers a multitude of sins. Love never fails. Jesus emptied himself of heaven. He came to earth as a servant and allowed himself to be nailed to a cross because he loved us so much. Um, does, the, does the bride love the groom the way the groom loves the bride and gave his life for her? Okay, sorry, we have to be quick. To sum it up, oh, I have to say this though. You know, it does say that um, by this shall all men know that you're my disciples if you have love one for another. We have got to love one another. We've got to love one another. Okay, to sum it up, we've got different abilities given to us by God. We've been placed just as he wants us placed. You are exactly where he wants you to be. It's not a big surprise. Oh, I moved to Idaho. I didn't know I was going to move there. God did. Oh, I'm in Georgia. God knew that. He put you there with the exact abilities he wanted you to have for his church. 
for his bride. Okay. Um, all abilities are needed by the body. His bride, none are wasted. None are unessential. None of us can determine that our ability is more essential than another's. Oh, you know, I teach ladies Bible class. Yeah, who cares? Okay, just get in there and get to work. Okay, that's all that matters. No one in the body can say I have nothing to offer because God didn't give me your ability. And if I think if you think that or you say that, you should apologize to your heavenly father because he's placed something remarkable in you. He just wants you to find it and use it. Everyone has something, but no one has everything. So don't worry about that. Um, what are your gifts and how are you using him for them for his sake? Okay, I'm done. Okay. <laughs> I'm sorry. It was longer than what I thought. Um, but thank you for listening to me. And be a, be a bride. Be a bride. Be, be neat. Be alluring. Let people want to come up and talk to you because you look welcoming. That's one of the things that Jesus did. You know, even, even the... The bad people wanted to be around him. Even his enemies were found in his presence. He just had that that way about him. And I think if we had that way about us, people would come to us more often and maybe we'd get the opportunity to tell them about our Lord. Okay, thank you. Thank you.